Hello and welcome to the Buzz. I'm your host Jaspreet Kalra, and in this week's edition, we explore how artificial intelligence can help banks and financial institutions automate their due diligence work to ensure that their business dealings do not involve sanctioned vessels, companies, or countries. I spoke with Amy Daniels, CEO of Windward, a predictive maritime intelligence firm that believes AI platforms are key for banks and financial institutions looking to make data-backed decisions and avoid onerous fines. We spoke about how the data that goes into building these models can be hard to get, how time-consuming manual checks can be, and whether AI is likely to expand its footprint in servicing this need in the future. So just before we get started if you could just give me a brief introduction of what Windward is, what's your focus and the sort of you know headline items for AI applications and how they intersect with sanction management and risk management for how it works for financial institutions. Uh, we're a maritime AI company. Uh, we build one AI decision support platform to help our customers take the right decisions uh, for them on security issues, environmental issues, compliance issues, safety issues, as well as, as logistics issues. Insofar as compliance, they think it's very clear um, the bar has been raised in the last year. Uh, since May 2020, uh, the US and the UK has have both um, requested an enhanced level of due diligence for shipping and trading uh, decisions, which means that every bank, every energy company, every shipping company, every insurance company, and so on and so forth, would need to screen for vessels' behaviors, not just for blacklists, um, mm-hmm. which is a different ballgame. Blacklists are, as like their name, black and white. Uh, so there's a blacklist. You're, you're not allowed to do business with people on a blacklist. Right. Having said that, ships' behaviors are not uh, binary. Uh, so you need to go back and, 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 and analyze the last 12 months or so of vessels' behaviors. Has this vessel disappeared from screen for too long? Has it done a ship-to-ship transfer for too long? Uh, and so on and so forth. And that is maybe simple if you are a small operation. If you're a big operation, you know it might take two and a half days to do that. We automate that with AI and give you a go immediate go no go recommendation. So just to sort of you know dive into how you build your models and what sort of data that goes into it, do you use like public source open intelligence that talks about ship behaviors and how do you sort of expand on that because your recommendations also carry with them sort of like a risk appetite and carry with them possibility that if that recommendation is wrong, banks could be liable for a fee. So how do you navigate? that sort of liability and what sort of data goes into building that model? Use primarily commercial and public information. It's primarily commercial. So sourced globally, uh, ships transmissions, RF satellites picking up the vessel's locations, optical images at a global scale, uh, an ownership database that we've launched in, in Feb. Basically, uh, I'm not sure a lot of companies built that since 1760. So our ownership database is based on AI and a dynamic approach to uh, the data. Uh, weather information, port information, and, and so on. Uh, these, go, these go through a rigorous uh, filter and fusion mechanism. Uh, there's a lot of problems with data as well as, as intentional spoofing of the information. Once that, once that gets uh, fused together, then we have a set of machine learning and deep learning algorithms to calculate the vessels, what we call activities. For instance, every time a vessel does a ship to shoot transfer, we use uh, a deep learning algorithm to model for the vessel's behaviors. So specifically, if you just measure proximity, you get whatever, 80, 90% uh, 
false positives rate, you don't want that. Um, so I think at scale, you want to take the false positives to as low as possible uh, level. The same goes for the dark activity. If an investor disappears, um, the question is, did it really disappear or not? So you want to, every third vessel disappears for more than eight hours in the Gulf, um, in the Arabian Gulf. So you also don't want to flag every third vessel, right? Probably. So you want to zero that down to the minimum possible uh, quantity. So that's how we use AI on multiple levers, uh, levels. Uh, the top line risk score is actually rule-based. And the reason is that FIs are regulated. So the feedback we received is if you just give a deep learning score, it will not won't necessarily fly in all regimes. So in, in Singapore, uh, we, for instance, it probably will not work. Uh, the banks there are, uh, are obliged to have things that are explainable and auditable and trackable, if that makes uh -huh. sense. Um, so that's an approach we call a glass box and not a black box. Right. Um, last point you mentioned is uh, is risk appetite. So we've built and launched a few months ago a risk customization capability. So every customer, actually every subsidiary can customize, click, click, click um, um, their risk appetite insofar as regimes, look back and all kinds of parameters. And it can simulate what does that mean for their business? But basically it means no two people would get the same answer in the world. I think that's a very big difference in some of the data vendors in the space that offer you data, but not just data, they offer everybody the same data. And just to sort of walk back a little here, because this is a transition from very manual, very sort of paperwork-based processes to more software-based processes, could you give me yeah. an inkling of the time difference that your product is able to bring to the table for any bank? <laughs> sure. Um, so we, we provide a any go no go recommendation instant, instantaneously click get it also with every api even if you have 10 million uh, uh api requests a month well, you'll still get in a second um a person might take two and a half days to do complicated cases and two hours to do simple cases um so i guess you can multiply that uh, but the answer is hey, it's much more effective um but i think even more than that specifically with fis we were seeing is there's a lack of competency and a lack of talent for the second and third lines of defense. Okay, and could you so, expand on what you mean by that? Sure, of course. So you have the first line of defense, which says go, no, go. Escalate, don't escalate. Approve, don't approve. And this is just the basic structure of how banks work. Um, and it's not just for shipping and trading, it's true for everything. So these guys would look at millions of transactions. And then they, if something that has a red flag or an amber flag, they would need to escalate it to a second level of defense, a second line of defense or a third line of defense. The second line of defense will take a look at these and actually screen some of them and say, yeah, you know, these 10 are false positives, but these 10 are actually suspicious. The third line of defense does complex investigations. Um, I think one of what we're seeing in the, one of the unintended consequences of this regulation enhanced level of due diligence is simply a crunch, a talent crunch. The banks don't really have enough shipping and trading experts to hire to do the, the, the investigations. So, so what is maybe more natural to a commodity trader, because they're used to looking at ships all day, isn't necessarily as natural to a bank. So I think what part of what we're trying to provide is not just a go-no-go recommendation, but the expertise baked into the product for non-experts. Mm -hmm. And therefore, that helps to deal with that second, third line of defense crunch.
Right. Okay. And something that very often comes up in AI related discussions as well is that building that base data set that you sort of expand on and do your recommendations sure. on can be a tricky process. Now, has sure. that ever been your experience that sometimes a case went in and the machine, the machine or the machine learning model just said there was insufficient data or insufficient pre-existing information. Now, how do you deal with those cases? Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, specifically within the shipping space, it's I think even more complicated because you we we predict some of the cases which you have a very low 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 level of um, um, amount of label data sets. So so if you wanna, for and I'll give you a non-compliance example. We 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 predict the probability of a vessel to have a collision. There are about in and about 200 collisions a year in the world. So how do you predict, build a model without having overfitting because you you know you play with it too much um, uh, with 200 uh, uh, labels? I think that's that's quite a challenge. Uh, for example, uh, and by definition, the more you break it down to what you you're predicting, the more accurate you are. Uh, so I think that's that's a challenge. Um, what we do is we use our own dom domain analysts to tag. A lot of cases and use that as a label data set to train the models um, so you can actually know how good you're improving or not that's one one answer the second answer i think by now we have enough user base to provide us a lot of feedback so we have a lot of ship owners reaching out to us say hey my vessel is high risk uh could you help me understand why and obviously we can we have a very rigorous sla on this and i think it's a very important interaction having said that not necessarily not necessarily all requests are cleared because in some cases, you know, we, what we see is some people say, hey, you know, you're saying that my ship went off screen, but actually it didn't, or I had a malfunction, um, which happens. We ask for supportive data, where, where were you? Can, can we get your satellite phone uh, location and clear you because of that? Another instance is, hey, well, I'm a red flag because you know I sold this vessel yesterday and it's still not updated in your database. So you know that can happen. So we just say, oh, great, could you please provide us documentation and we'll update it and clear you. But there are other cases in which people principally do not agree with the concept of having a platform that says you're high risk or not. Mm -hmm. So it's not they don't agree with the facts. They agree with the facts. They do not agree with the concept of being rated for for risk, which, which I think by now is, you know, in the US, basically everybody's been getting rated for credit risk. When you get a loan, they price the loan on your past performance. So does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And sort of just adding on a question to that is when you are doing that risk analysis, when you're looking at some suspicious elements that you might be thinking, oh, this might be fishy, this might not be fishy, mm -hmm. how often, is it that you also see state actors involved in that? And how do you deal when a state actor sends your request to flag or unflag a certain vessel that might be also dealing with multiple financial institutions? Yeah, first of all, obviously state actors have that as well. I think the recent example is, uh, so the US, um, the US removed the sanctions from the company building Nord Stream 2 and their CEO. Mm -hmm. But it added 13 Russian vessels who are dealing with that uh, project. Okay. Okay, into one of the sub lists of OFAC. And it was as, as recent as a few days ago. Um, so obviously, there's absolutely a connection to state actors. Another example is Sinuk, 
there is very specific restrictions on ship to ship transfers within the uh, South China Sea, I believe, uh, with Sinuk. That's, that's another example, which is obviously a Chinese national oil company. Right. Uh, PDVSA, uh, there are sanctions on PDVSA in Venezuela. So you're actually allowed to come and trade into Venezuela. You're not allowed to trade with PDVSA. So, so absolutely state actors, and obviously there are more, more examples, right? Uh, the Emerald, which did an oil spill probably uh, off Israel, was not Iranian flagged, but it was Iranian operated in the, the Panamanian flag. Right. Um, we actually haven't got into a situation uh, until now that the state actor reached out to us and say, could you please change this? We did have flags reach out to us. We did have big ship owners and small ship owners and big charters uh, reach out to us. But you know, I, I look forward to uh, the day that this happens. For, for us, I think we welcome and, and we'll, we'll soon have an online uh, uh, we have to some extent we're going to expand online the mechanism, allowing ship owners to reach out to us and provide us their information for screening. Because for us, it serves, you know, it's a win win situation. Uh, the banks and the energy care companies and the insurance companies get better accuracy and less false positives. And the ship owners get to do to know the business because they're not wrongly flagged, which could happen, right? Somebody told me, a guy in, in, in shipping, very senior guy told me, you might be 99% right, but that means you're 100% wrong to 1% of the people. Right, yeah, fair. So if you could just talk to me a little bit about the scope of the data you have, because you mentioned you have a lot of clients, you also monitor a lot of vessels. If you could put a number on that for me, and also if you could put a number on how many financial institutions slash insurance companies you're currently working with. Yeah, so we're working with a couple a dozen of, in, of financial institutions. Um, not all of them have been published, uh, both on for, for, for insurance, marine insurance, as well as ship finance, correspondent banking, and trade finance. We have all these types of customers. Um, the, the different, the, the screen for different transactions. So uh, marine insurance companies primarily screen a pre-renewal. Pre it depends if it's P&I or how machinery. P&I is on February. 20th, I think, or 18th, um, as well as on, a, on a, an ongoing basis. Ship finance banks uh, use this for a quarterly basis and a quarter review of their loans. Trade finance banks, obviously, is the screen against every trade transaction. And the correspondent banks, when they use, be, be, use this is for correspondent banking. Um, that's a different use case. In terms of data, then we cover all uh, IMO vessels, so, which means about 100,000 vessels globally. Um, uh, we're also covering uh, cargo information. So we're also screening for oil information. Um, so if you're taking suspicious cargoes, which is now being, it's mandatory to check that. So I believe we have the only solution in the world right now doing that. Um, uh, so on other solutions, we talk about only the vessel. We also help you screen the cargo. And we're gonna expand that really soon in the next, whatever, 35 days again. Uh, um, keep your ears open for that. I think it will be very exciting because Basically, I think what we're seeing is that oftentimes the banks don't necessarily have all the information. They would have just bills of lading or the name of a ship or the name of a company. So just the entity matching part is quite challenging. So yeah. I mean, if, if you had right. to give me like a five-year down the line sort of a prediction or sort of even an estimation how deeply integrated do you think AI-based systems will be in this space? 
the the the, the deep the deepest it's possible. Nobody will stay behind. I think I think COVID really proved to everybody you cannot not go digital. So and 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 at scale you can't go digital without AI. So 